Today's message is topical. We're taking a break from our study in Revelation. Um, I felt like I kind of had to, but the title of today's message is A House Divided. A House Divided. This isn't math class. But I don't know if you've seen it. I know you hadn't seen it until I showed it to you. But there's this meme, and I think it came out last year sometime. And it's of this little dog with a hat sitting at a table with a cup of coffee or something. And the whole house is on fire. And the second frame is him saying, this is fine. And this has become sort of a meme I use for all different things. We pass it around at work when other things seem to be on fire for projects and stuff. I'm like, oh, everything's fine. <laughs> Even though the world's burning around him. Um, he's acting like it's okay. Like there's no big deal. And if this building that we're in right now, or wherever you are listening, was on fire, and I continue to preach our study in Revelation today, I think surely it would do you some spiritual good before the flames and smoke overtook you. You would be spiritually edified, but I believe I'd be missing the elephant in the room. If there's a fire, I shouldn't be standing here preaching the same old thing as if everything was normal and we had time to sit down and study the things that are about to take place. And I think that's part of why God has us in Revelation is because these things are beginning to get ready to come to take place, that the birth pangs are getting so close, that the Lord wants us to pay attention and wake up to the fire of judgment that's about to rain down on the earth. I definitely think that. But I think even more granular and specific and practical for our day and age, man, there's a fire burning right now. And it's raging. And it's consuming. And for me to stand here and not at least take notice of it in one message would be dishonest, disingenuine, and a disservice to anyone who listens. But I want to sort of underline the fact that the goal of the message today is not one to be political or to be overly practical or to take away from the spiritual. The goal here is not for me to get you to vote one way or the other or to change your political ideology, although that may happen as you spend time with the, the word and the word of God and God himself, these things will begin to change in you. You know, my wife, before she knew the Lord voted one way and after the Lord votes another way and I don't let her forget it. <laughs> but sincerely, the goal of this message, as should any Bible study be, to get our attention on God. If our attention and our gaze is not diverted to God when we spend time in his word, we're not spending time truly in his word. We're spending time in some other word. And with that, as we look to him, as we gaze to him, as we peer into the scripture to get a heavenly mind and a heavenly view, we should begin to see things the way that God sees them. We should begin to see things the way the Bible describes them. And our own sight and our own vision should begin to fall away. Like when Saul of Tarsus was met by the Lord on the road and he was struck blind and a few days later scales 
was seeing something like scales fell off his eyes. I believe God was changing his very vision to see the world in a whole new light. And I pray that that's what we do this morning. Because the world right now sees things in one very clear and distinct way. And I believe that the way the world sees things right now is very clearly and distinctly different than the way God sees them. And the way God sees them is the way they really are. The Bible is a sword. It's sharper. It's double-edged. It can pierce bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and get down to the heart of any truth because it is truth. And if the world sees things distinctly different than the way God sees things, well, then the way the world sees things is distinctly wrong and distinctly a lie and dis distinctly deceiving. Now, the people that go the way of the world and see things the way of the world, they may not know. They're deceived. So I'm not here to, to say people that believe these things or do these things or act this way are uh, malicious. They may be doing it for what they believe is the right reason, but they are wrong. And I may not have all things right either, but I do know where to get those right answers, and that is in the Word of God. And I hope that this morning's message, or whatever time you're listening to, is a lot like this. In 2 Kings 6, 15-17, it says, the servant of the man of God, and the man of God here is Elisha. He arose early and went out, and there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And I believe we've quoted this verse a bunch in, in messages because I love it. But Elisha answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. This man can see fine. He was younger than Elisha. His vision was probably better, but he was missing what was actually happening around them. They were surrounded by an army, and he thought they were outnumbered, but Elisha, probably older, probably didn't see very well, saw spiritually. And so it says, Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That there were angels and heavenly hosts surrounding them that outnumbered this army. And even if they didn't, one of those angels could have taken out that whole army. And now this man's heavenly eyes were opened. And my mom used to say to me all the time as a kid, when we're here on earth and when you're young, your, your earthly eyes are open big and you see all the earth and your spiritual eyes are very closed. But then when we get into heaven, our heavenly eyes are, are wide open and we can see heaven for what it is. And I've seen that come to pass in my life. The more I trust God and follow him and let him work in me. It's not my own efforts that open my eyes. It's his word and his spirit that have opened my eyes. I've seen things in a totally different light. Seen things going on that wouldn't make sense any other way or made sense in my own estimation. But then when I come to God, they make complete sense and the, the true sense. So when you and I look around at the world around us, at the news, I hope you pay attention to the news. If you're not in the news, I know there's lots of fake news. I'm not saying just to blindly sit there and listen and believe everything they tell you. Read, pay attention, keep an ear to the ground, take everything with a grain of salt. But when you pay attention to these things, don't be a, a, like a, an ostrich, so to speak, with his head in the sand. Don't pretend you can just put your head in the ground like the meme or just sit there with your cup of coffee and go, this is fine. But when you look at these things, also entertainment, what's entertainment, what's considered entertainment, what's fashionable, what's being taught and what's being exalted as education and the pinnacle of it, how do you look at it? 
What do you interpret it to really mean? What are they really teaching? What are they really espousing as important? Is this and this worldview of yours and mine somehow separate from the word of God? You know, at work, we, we talked a lot in the past couple of years about breaking down the silos. Uh, so-called, you know, we have digital and we have traditional, which does print. And so we tried to let our disciplines interact more that we might grow and learn from each other and become a more well-rounded agency and a stronger agency because it from it and not have a lot of, not have like you know infighting you know try to be more justified or unified i'm not saying we really were infighting but it's good to know you know i like to learn a lot of different things i've always liked to learn always things that interest me there's stuff that i'll watch that i would never you know buy an old electronics on ebay and get into it and try and fix it but it's interesting to me to watch or learn how some guy solders or learn how this guy does things with wood or metal or uh, special effects or whatever it is. I love learning about all these things and hearing how people do it because it's, it's great to see a craftsman or someone who's passionate about their work do it. But then I learned so much that can be applied elsewhere, you know, to be well-rounded. And so when it comes to these things in the world and our worldview, do we view the Bible as another silo? Are we interested in, in XYZ, but then the Bible's over here? And we're experts in the Bible, but we're not experts in how the Bible actually applies, how the Bible actually reveals reality. Because do you and I think of the Bible as relevant? I think many of us believers in this day and age would say so, but I don't know that we really believe so. Because our lives seem to be more dictated by what's popular than by what's real. Because do you and I come to God's worth for what it is, absolute truth? And again, I'd say, most of us as believers would say that, myself included, but do we really let it be a light and a lamp unto our path? Do we really let what the Bible says direct our past, the job we pick, the person we marry, the stuff we're into, the way we live our lives, what we stand up for, what we vote Four. Do we let it be that powerful flashlight in the deep darkness? I love flashlights. I love that you can get these little rechargeable batteries and they have these really strong LEDs. I have this little copper light that's so tiny but it's so bright. And I want to get a big one because now that we have some property and it's dark, I want to be able to go out there at night, flip this thing on, and see all the lions, tigers, and bears on my property in the middle of the night. I love it. I was out looking at the stars last night. And it was so bright. There were so many stars out. It was a clear night. The moon wasn't bright. There was, there was no clouds. And man, I was looking, there's this comet out there. I just love seeing these lights. But wouldn't it be foolish of me to enjoy my little flashlight, light shining it around for fun at night to look for animals, but I never actually carry it with me when it's dark? I don't keep it in my pocket. I don't keep it by my bedstand. It's just a toy on the shelf. That would be foolish. And I feel like a lot of us with the scripture, whether we realize it or not, that's what we do. Oh, this is great. I love reading it on Sunday. I love reading my devotionals, but as soon as you go to work, it may not be in your pocket, but it's not in your heart. As soon as you go to the voting booth, as soon as you go to the bank, as soon as you go to the movie theater. You know, my wife and I were about to watch this movie last night and she looked up stuff that was in it. And I only paid a dollar and I was upset I lost the dollar. But we didn't watch it. 
And I can't say we've always done that. We've, we've made poor decisions before. But I hope we make better decisions. Especially now, on a larger scale than that. Because these little things, there's a saying, death by a thousand cuts. That one little paper cut won't kill you. Two won't, three won't, four won't. But if you get 10,000 little cuts, you're going to bleed to death. I think that's what's happening and what's happened in our country. Because our world, and indeed our very own land, is falling into absolute chaos. But pastor, you might say, your job is to focus on the Bible. Well, I don't get paid for this, so I can focus on whatever I want. But sincerely, the world of politics and current, they might say, the world of politics and current events is your concern. I would say true. It is not my main concern. My main concern is not who gets elected, not me running for office, although I would gladly be in political office, but I wouldn't make it. People wouldn't like what I have to say or what I would stand for. I would be canceled quickly. And I may even be canceled in my pastoral role. Because if politics was, if this kingdom, this earthly kingdom was my main concern, and full exposure here, I love America. I love this country. I think it's been the best country in the history of the world up until recently. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not, I've, I know we've done a lot wrong. But on the grand scheme of empires of the world, God's blessed this one. He, he has. I believe God's time, I, you know, I could say this later, but I don't think it's in my notes, I don't want to forget it. But I think God's abandonment judgment is upon us. He's been trying to get our attention, letting more things happen, and we've rejected him, and rejected him, and rejected him. And now, in the past couple of years, I feel like, maybe even just the past year, he's just said, okay, time's up. Have your way. And not that he's not here for believers, not that Christians are, don't have his spirit, and not that he's not going to do a work, a spiritual power, but I think his hand is off America completely because everything's off the table now. And everything's on the table. And everything's under the table. And everything's in the air. Because he holds all things together, does he not? And this country is no longer staying together. And again, if this kingdom was my main concern, if I wasn't confident in my salvation, I'd be building a bunker in Alaska somewhere, buying even more ammo than I am now, buying even more guns than I am now, buying even more food than I am now, buying more. I would be preparing a thousand times more if I didn't have the hope of heaven. But because I have the hope of heaven, because Jesus Christ is my savior and my real king, and he's coming back to get me one day, there's a balance. That doesn't mean that I don't prepare, because that's foolish. The Bible teaches all over about being practical and prepared. But it doesn't mean that that's my sole focus in life, that there's a healthy balance there. But on the same stretch, I can't ignore these political things going on. I can't ignore the practical world around me. My main charge in life, and so is yours, and not just because I'm a pastor, that's just, that's just my role in the church. I'm not a, a pastor is not who I am. It's my role. It's my gifting. I'm a believer just like any one of you who are listening. I hope. If you're not a believer, get saved. Trust Jesus. Because my main charge in life is to love the Lord with all my heart, my mind, and strength, and so is yours. 
to love my family, to love God's family, the church, and to spread the gospel. That is my main goal. But in part of that, in practical application of that, there's so much more. And in fact, I said some things in last week's message that would certainly be deemed hateful by certain people, by certain educational institutions, even by certain people in branches of the government. Although there is absolutely zero hate for anybody in my message, in my words, in my beliefs. I hate sin, but I do not hate anybody. In fact, the very opposite. I want all people to come to know Jesus. I may not agree with them. I may not encourage them in what they do. I, may, I will tell them that what they're doing is wrong. But in that, it doesn't mean I hate them. I love them, and I want them to come to the truth. And there are also things I'm going to say today that are part of also what I might fear. You know, this fear's kind of gone away from me recently. <laughs> Maybe I need a little bit more of it. But with cancel culture and everything else going on, this message could come back to bite me. Last message, if anyone, not that anyone's listening to it, but if they did and there was something for me to be canceled from, you know, maybe I'll lose my job one day for something I teach. I know a few people at work occasionally listen to my message, and that's awesome. If you're listening, keep doing so. I love you. I'm glad you're listening. But one day, I'm probably going to say something that's going to rub you the wrong way. And if I do and it's of my own, I'm sorry. But on the other hand, if it's what the Bible says, not sorry. Because a few years, our free speech to tell the truth won't be as easy to speak as today. It's already eroding very quickly. But if I as a Christian, a father, a husband, dare I say it, a man and a pastor, don't stand up for the truth and speak it and live it, how can I and why should I expect anyone else to? And how can I and why should I be upset when the world falls apart if I'm not doing my part to be salt and light in it? And you too, Christian, no matter your stature, no matter your age, no matter your power. Because while we have the freedom to, and even when I don't have the freedom to, may I still preach the truth in love. Why? Because the Bible commands, Romans 13, 1-7, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And remember that this is in the book of Romans. This is under the Roman Empire. You think America is bad? Rome had... <laughs> Rome was not a godly nation. They had many gods. They had slavery. They had crucifixion. And it goes on and says, First, there is no authority except from God. And the authorities, meaning the governments, that exist are appointed by God. It doesn't say good authorities are appointed by God, bad authorities aren't. It says authority itself, the office itself, law, law giving, law executing, and judgment are appointed by God. That God puts government in place to keep society running, that justice may be served. It's not the church's responsibility to jail people. It's the government's. But the government is there by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. You resist the government in an unlawful way, well, guess what? It's your fault you got arrested. Is it an unjust law? Maybe, but it's still your duty to obey it. If it's an unholy law, 
Like, don't worship God. That's different. That you have a duty as a believer to, to obey. But if it's a speed limit, if it's a tax, if it's an ordinance, it's your duty as a Christian to obey that law. Because God has allowed that government to be, even if it's a bad government. Does that mean in Nazi Germany you were to go along with exterminating the Jewish people? Absolutely not. That's, that's an unholy law. But were you supposed to pay taxes to the Nazi regime? You're there. Jesus paid taxes. He said, go down and get that fish. And he took a coin out of the fish. Listen to this. For rulers, and I'm going to go eight hours today. We're, going, we're falling out the windows today if you're listening. Sit on your couch. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. And I apologize if this comes off as a rant. There is a point to the end of this. But do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do you want to be unafraid of the policeman when he's behind you? I used to be very afraid when a cop got behind me. Why? Because I had bad stuff in the car. Or because, God bless you, because I was just guilty somehow and I knew it. Now I go, I hope he pulls me over. I want to get to know him. <laughs> or, oh Lord, I was speeding there. <laughs> Please give me grace. But do you want to be unafraid of the authority of the cops? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. Now, I'm not saying there's not problems in the police. I'm not saying that there's not bad police officers who will give you trouble. But overall, overarching with authority, if you obey the law, you've got no problem. Do what is good and you will have praise for the For Listen to this. This will this burst your bubble. For he is God's minister to you for good. Whether the cop knows it or not, whether the judge knows it or not, God's got him in your life for good. They may not be obedient. They may do something bad. They may not serve justice. But their authority is meant for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For the, the, the officer does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. If you're practicing evil and you get shot, that's God's minister executing wrath on your evil practice. Now, I know that making things very simple, and there are complications and other matters, but I think a lot of the time in our day and age, we get mad at the very people who are just trying to do their job against people who are just trying to commit a crime. I know there's many reasons for these things and there's nuances and all that, but sincerely, that's what concerns me. For because of this, you also pay taxes. They are God's ministers, attending continually this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Even if the person isn't honorable, we're meant to honor them. Even if you don't like the president, and you say, he's not my president, you still should honor the office. Because when we disrespect the office, chaos ensues. I, didn't like, I don't like certain presidents. I don't like everything this president does. But do I call them names? No, because I respect the country and I respect the office. And who is the real governing authority of my country, of our country, if we are American citizens? At the root, it's not the administration. It's not the judges in the Supreme Court. It's not your elected officials. It is the very Constitution. Just like with the Bible. The Bible is the very governing authority. It's not the pastors. It's not the priests. It's not the church. They're meant to execute the Bible. 
Execute, but I mean carry out. <laughs> it seems like we're actually executing the Bible in the church. Sounds like a good thing. But all men and women elected are appointed in service to the Constitution and to us as the people to uphold the law of the Constitution. So my allegiance is not to a certain political party. I am registered as a certain political party. I don't think they espouse everything I believe in. In fact, I'm, I'm way further down the path than they are. In fact, I think they're, they totally don't represent me other than on certain core issues. Everything else I go, you guys are ridiculous. But my allegiance as a citizen of America is to uphold the Constitution. If you're a good citizen of Greece, you're to help uphold the lawful government of Greece. The lawful office of government in Greece. Not necessarily an unlawful party, an unlawful politician. Don't get me wrong. Because if Christians are not concerned about our nation, what kind of witness is that? Is my concern to be above the gospel? No, of course not. But should I not be concerned at all and claim to know the truth and stand for it in the public square? Do I really believe it then if it doesn't play out in every aspect of my life? Private, public, civic? Am I to let tyranny take over if I have the ability not to? Is that loving my neighbor to let a dictator take over? When I have the ability to vote, when I have the ability to peacefully protest, when I have the ability to speak out with the First Amendment, or, heaven forbid, use the Second Amendment to prevent it from happening? And I'm going to go on this rant. Some of you who know me for listening have heard this before. But if someone breaks into my house, am I to sit by and pray and let them ravage my family? Oh, Lord, please make them stop. Yes. That's the first step. The second step is racking around in the chamber and saying, stop! If they don't, and they are violent against my family, I will use, and you can use this in record in court one day if you have to, I will use all force necessary to stop someone from hurting my family. They can steal my TV, although I don't want them to, and I'll do what I can to not let them to, but I'm gonna protect my family. Because I will pray and I will defend my family at every cost. I will even encourage them to pray at gunpoint. Repent while the police come. Will I just run in there all willy-nilly and just shoot him because I want to shoot him? Absolutely not. But if he will not comply or she will not comply or they will not comply, at some point I must use force to make them comply. Because if not, I am not loving my family. What will my family think of me and my love for them and God and God's love for them if I don't do something to protect them? Because violence is not wrong in and of itself. Violence is a tool of last resort to enforce righteousness. We're seeing that in Revelation. Well, what if this person or group of people is breaking into my neighbor's home and I have every ability to assist? What will my neighbor think of me if I just sit by in my living room and pray while he's having his life and his family destroyed? Oh, I was praying for you, neighbor. You think you'd be like, oh, thank you. I appreciate it. You know what? God didn't show up and protect me. But you were praying, so it really means a lot to me. No, you're the answer to prayer. 
You pray, and God sends you. So why didn't we run over and help that person, help our neighbor? Or what if it's not such a violent thing? What if it's a fire, and their house is burning down? Should we not call the fire department? Should we not run over there, turn on a hose, run in there and try to protect them? Absolutely. Even if it costs us our own life. Now, here's the tricky one. What if the government is the one that's invading my neighbor's home unlawfully? Am I to stand by? What if the government is letting a city, state, or country burn down? And many people use this today. They think this is what the government is doing. And maybe parts of the government are, but I don't believe that the institution is. And if it is, vote in somebody else. What if the government is no longer following the law of the land? What if the government is no longer upholding the Constitution? And we've exhausted every reasonable method, voting, peaceful protest, petitions, legal action, etc. And the government still marches on and does as it wills and tramples on my fellow citizen neighbors. Do we not have a duty to do as right? And I feel like that's what a lot of people think they're doing today, is doing what they believe is right. But I don't believe they have the whole picture. I think they've been deceived on certain things. But do we not have that duty to do what is right, to extinguish that fire, to stand up for those who speak, can't speak for themselves, to defend the weak and the powerless? Well, that being said, my favorite saying, what if I told you our country is on fire right now? And we're not even having a bad fire season. Thankfully, it's been raining so much. I pray we don't have a bad fire season, even though that's what they were thinking was going to happen this year. But it's actually on fire. I believe this country is spiritually burning right now and is physically burning in ways it never has before. There are cities, states, and laws that are being perverted, discarded, and more than that, outright destroyed. Justice is being flipped. The bench is legislating and the populace is being used for political gain. Is this a political speech? You, you could construe it that way. I pray that this is a spiritually revealing speech. Useful idiots is a term that uh, a lot of people try and put it on Marx or Lenin or Stalin and stuff. But perhaps it comes from... Uh, this article called Yugoslavia's Tragic Lessons of the World. There's a link for it in uh, the notes if you download them from the website. From October 1946, in Reader's Digest of all places, uh, from the Chief Foreign Press Ministry of, the, of Yugoslavia, the communists consolidated their power. Uh, he became disillusioned. He watched as individuals he respected were being arrested, imprisoned, and executed. We're almost at that point here. We've got arrested in prison, but no executed yet. He believed, oh, except for Epstein. He watched his individuals, uh, I don't respect him, but you get the point. He believed that his decision to join the government had been naive and misguided. The communists employed a sardonic label that prompted the shudder of self-recognition. Uh, in the Serbo-Croat language, the communists have a phrase, is what he said, for the true Democrats. Wait a minute. Communists like the word Democrat. The phrase for true Democrats who consent to collaborate with them for, quote-unquote, democracy. Do you realize that's how communism takes hold? It's through what they deem as democracy. 
but it always turns into a one-party system, the one party of the Communist Party. It is uh, Kursni Budali, and I'm sure I'm not saying that right, or useful innocence. Radice rendered this crucial phrase as useful innocence, but a more direct translation in English shield, useful fools. And are our people educated today? Do they just go along like sheep to the slaughter? And this man asserted that the recently held elections in the country were not generally democratic. Is that not our fear these days? Some useful innocents in the onlooking democratic world were impressed by these elections, he says. They can learn from their true nature uh, from General Rankovich addressing the elected National Assembly of Yugoslavia on March 24 of 1946, I believe it was. Those who oppose the policy of the present regime cannot possibly put themselves into power through free elections. They cannot participate in the government, and they cannot even exist as a tolerated opposition. Right now, there are whole parties, whole factions of America that do not tolerate any opposition in voice, in political opinion, in history, or in power. He says, be careful about people whose vocabulary is yours, but whose record, wherever they hold that power, is your destruction. Do not be chorus nebodale. Do not be useful innocence. He says, there are so many people in political office who will use your language, but in practice, they're just using you. Proverbs 28, 4 through 5 says, to reject the law is to praise the wicked. To obey the law is to fight them. At some point, obedience to the law means standing up to the wicked. And standing up even in violence. Imagine we didn't stand up to Hitler. And a lot of people throw that word, that name around these days. They throw around the word fascism these days. But it's funny, those who claim to be anti-fascists and claim to call others fascists, they're using the tactics of fascism. Because evil people don't understand justice, but those who follow the Lord understand completely. You want to know why justice isn't being served? Why justice is being perverted is because evil people don't understand it. And the people that claim to be carrying out justice these days are evil. There I said it. They don't like the things that are going on. They don't like the institutions and everything that are happening. And I'm not saying that there aren't bad instances, there aren't things that have to be fixed. But as a whole, they're being useful fools. Used for the gain of someone else. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until